I'll say one thing about the Megillah, which is this. The Megillah, that we love dearly, so the Megillah, chapter four of the Megillah begins, It's how chapter four begins. Mordechai knew all that was Kosher Na'asa. You see the text? Kosher Na'asa. So first of all, I just say as a parenthetical remark about the Megillah, Mordechai knew Kosher Na'asa. The language that, that was done. Na'asa is a passive verb. Right? Na'asa, that which was done. One of the interesting features of the Megillah is the use, constant use of the passive voice. Constant, right? My favorite verse is chapter two, uh, chapter two, verse one. After these things, after Vashti was deposed, when the king's anger abated, so Charet Vashti v'yet asher asata, v'yet asher digzar oleha. I love that verse. He remembered all that Vashti had done and that which was decreed about her. Now, of course, when you see the story in chapter one, Vashti did nothing. The point of Vashti doing is not doing it, but the point of what did Vashti do? I'm not coming to your estate party, basically what she said, you know, to parade me before the boys. Not interesting. So that's what she did, so-called asata. That's what she did. But that which was decreed, exactly. And the, and the, and the point is, it's not nigzaroleha. The king determines, and, so in, and many different words are used, to issue a judgment about Vashti. He issues judgment about her. He makes a royal edict that she shall not come to the king, right? And she'll be deposed as, as queen, etc. So what's interesting, when it comes to what the king does, it, 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 you know, bad things happen, you know? It happens. When it comes to the other person, though, there she is what she did. And that's very important for the Megillah. Because the point of the Megillah, in terms of Achashverosh, is, in general, is a person who never wants to take responsibility for anything. Not for killing the Jews and not for saving the Jews, or rather killing the other guys. It's always you do whatever you want, and you do whatever you want should not be seen necessarily as a sense of he's a generous kind of fellow. It's more about you do what you want, and if it turns out poorly, then you did it and I didn't do it. The decree against the Jews, which later on he, he doesn't like because he suspects Haman. Who's the wicked person who did it? Oh, Haman did it. Haman Araza, right? Who did it, Esther? Who is it? Not you, King. You're a wonderful guy. It's uh, it's it's Haman. That's that's the Megillah. So, well, of course, the king, the only person who has power in the Megillah is Achishverosh. Haman, Haman, has, Haman is powerless. He's a bad guy. He has no power to do anything. So the point is, in any event, after these, so chapter four begins. Mordechai knew everything that was taking place. Says He puts on sackcloth. It says, no, Vayikra Mordechai, he tore his clothing. Vayubash Sak Vayefer, he puts on sackcloth. Vayetzeh Betokhair, Vayizak Zarkaga de Mara, he went out to the midst, middle of the city, Betokhair, and he cried out with a big bitter cry. That's the first verse. And the next verse is, like Esav, and the next verse is, Vayavo Adlifnei Shara Melech, he went up to the gate of the king. Kien Lovo Ashar HaMelech Novusak, because one may not enter the gate of the king if one is wearing sackcloth. So I want to say a few words about these verses, what I think they signify. First of all, why is Mordechai in the city? Mordechai, Mordechai is mourning. Carrying your clothing, putting on sackcloth, that's, 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 these, are, these are the rituals of, of, uh, of, uh, of mourning. It would appear from the text 
that there are two reasons that Mordechai goes outside the gate. Mordechai's in the gate of the cake. He leaves the gate. He goes He goes to the middle of the city. And it sounds like for two reasons. First reason seems to be that he wants to be in the city. In other words, because the next verse says that in every, 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 every state, every city, wherever there are Jews, all the Jews are wearing sackcloth. All the Jews are mourning. So Mordechai, you can read Mordechai's crying with a loud cry and going to the middle of the city. One can read that since Mordechai is the prominent Jew of the Megillah, Mordechai Yehudi. You can see that as Mordechai being in the middle of the city because he wants to be with the people. And maybe not just be with the people, but maybe Mordechai is even leading the people. Mordechai is telling the people, in effect, through the way he behaves. This is the time for crying, for mourning, for, for fasting. So one way to read it is that Mordechai, and I think it's the right shot, it could be, that he's going out to the city, he's the leading Jew. He goes out and he gives a big cry and he's wearing sackcloth. Then in the next verse, in every place where the king's edict has, has come, all the Jews, all the Jews are mourning. So in Spain, that's one reason he's in the middle of the city. But then the Megillah says something very strange. In the, in the following verse, he went up to the gate of the king. One may not enter the gate of the king wearing sackcloth. You can't be in the Shara Melech if you're wearing sackcloth. So therefore, since he went up to the gate, but he doesn't go into the gate. So what is the significance of that verse? What, why does the Megillah tell us they went up to the gate, but not into it, because one may not enter the gate of the, of the king wearing sackcloth? So I wanted to say something about, I mean, in my Megillah that I wrote, if you saw it, it's in Hebrew, and not an easy Hebrew either. Uh, I, I didn't write it myself. It's my stuff. Talk about this, among other things, many things. So the point is the following. When it says he went up to the gate, First of all, the verse is saying something about the, about the palace of the king. Chapter 4, which is the critical chapter of the Megillah, because that's the chapter where Mordechai says to Esther, you have to go in and save the Jews, and at first she resists, and he says to her, maybe this is why you became the queen. That's the name of my Megillah, for such a time as this. It's being translated now, by the way, maybe in who knows when it'll be published. But in any event, this is your moment. This is your responsibility. So that's the key chapter. So the point is that that chapter, chapter four, tells us two things about the rules of the palace. Rule number one is you can't enter the gate of the king wearing sackcloth. You can't be a mourner in the gate of the king. The, gate, the palace of the king, there's no mourning inside the palace. That's the first rule. That's the way the chapter begins. And the second law connected to the palace is at the end of the chapter. Or Esther says to Mordechai, who says to her, go and beg the king for your people. And Esther says, everybody knows that you can't walk into the king's in, inner, inner chamber. If you walk into the inner chamber, you're, you're killed, man or woman, except if the king gives you permission. And I haven't been called for 30 days. So actually, the beginning of the chapter and the end of the chapter, the two rules of the palace, are exactly the two rules that we discover in the story of Nadav and Avil. The first rule that you can't be a mourner inside the temple is what Moshe says to Aaron, who's in the middle of the sacrificial service. He says, let the others mourn. Israel will mourn. You can't mourn. Inside the temple, there's no mourning. You don't mourn in the temple. And the second rule, connect Nadav and Aviyah, in chapter 16, God spoke to Moshe, Aaron. 
after the death of Aaron's sons, right? The Karvatam, they Karvatam, they came too close, right? And, and the Torah says, tell Aaron, right, not to go into the holy place lest he die. However, Bezot Yavo Aaron up with this, he may enter. If he brings the appropriate sacrifices, I'll let him enter. So the truth of the matter is that the two rules of Achashverosh's palace, namely, there's no mourning. And number two, to enter the inner sanctum, you need special permission, are exactly the two rules you have in the Chumash about the Beis Amigdash, about the Mishkan. So which means something important for the Megillah. The Megillah wants us to understand that in the book, in the scroll of Esther, there is no Migdash. The Migdash is the house of Achashverosh. That's actually a very important point. And I would say that we know Migdash in the book of Esther, unlike what many other people say, which I think is not based in this text. And unlike the book of Daniel and, and, and the book of Ezra, Ezra Nehemiah, there is no sense on any level in this book, the Begillah, that you're going to return to Israel and build a temple. There's absolutely no sense of that. In the Megillah, this is where we are. We're in exile. And that's what the book is actually about. How do you function in exile? Exile means not just not in the land. Exile means that the king is Achashverosh. Who is, who, Achashverosh, you never know what he's going to do. He can make Mordechai the second advisor, second in command, and he can make Haman the second in command. You never have a sense what this guy's going to do. Either because he's a fool, or he's not a fool at all. He's a very clever guy who actually, but a completely amoral person. He couldn't care less. It's all about himself. So that's the, that's the very important chapter. That's the beginning, beginning and end. Sounds familiar, I know. Beginning and end of chapter four. It's, it's actually very striking. But I want to say something about this business of not entering the, the, the gate of the king wearing sackcloth. And that is that when it says he went up to the gate, but he can't enter the gate because you can't enter the gate wearing sackcloth, when it says he went up to the gate, what I think it suggests to us is that if he could enter the gate, he would enter the gate. That's what it means, right? He goes up to the gate. He's in the street, maybe telling everybody public statement, protest to the right. The Jews are massing the Jews to protest. He goes up to the gate. He stops. Can't enter the gate. Were he able to enter the gate, he would enter the gate. Were he able to enter the gate, maybe he himself would go to the king and beg the king. That's what he thinks he's supposed to do, beg the king. Okay, so it's a, it's a bad idea, but that's what he thinks you got to do. But he can't enter the gate. Now the question is, why does he have to go to the gate? Right. When he discovers the plot. So like that was his, his regular. Now what does that mean, Bishar exactly, as opposed to, you know? No, no. Ad-Shar means not in the Shah. Bishar means in the Shah. That's what I want. That's what I, so what's the point? That, that's, that's what I want to talk about. That's what I want to talk about. That's exactly the point I want to make, that idea. Here's the point. The question that is raised among, when I did the work on the Megillahs, I read a lot of stuff, you know? Jewish and not Jewish. It's a guy named Bush who writes the word commentary. And the Christians are very good, by the way, on the language. That's what they care about, the language, and they say, excellent. But, they have, but they're Christians. What does that mean, they're Christians? Bush has a Christian approach to things. He's bothered by certain things that I'm not bothered by. I'm not bothered by killing Haman's army. Doesn't bother me in the least. I couldn't kill it, you know? Now, it is true, and he doesn't understand this, that Esther doesn't want to kill the army. The killing of the 75,000 who are not innocent people that are killed, the Haman's army, but doesn't matter. 
Esther has no desire to kill anybody. She says to she begs him, to retract the order. She, went, she says to him, call off the war. It's an obvious point, but people don't seem to recognize that. He goes to the king, call off the war. He doesn't want to call off the war. We can't call off the war. Once you wish in the decree, it's got to happen, but I'll support your side. I don't want to get into that now, what his thinking could be. If he's not a dope, it could be he's a dope, but if he's not a dope, he has a very good idea in mind. In any event, so I'm not bothered by that, about the killing of Molech, it doesn't bother me in the least. Bush is bothered by this. The question that he raises, everybody raises, is the same question. Why are the Jews almost, they're almost killed in the Megillah, it came this close. The king sleeps that night, we're all dead. It's a very important point about Amalek. They come, always come very close. It's very frightening. So, question. What is the cause of that? Now, the Midrashim, the Gemaras, we showed him, what is the reason that the Jews are almost totally annihilated, destroyed? The Midrashim it, try to find some reason which will somewhat justify it. What did, what did the Jews do wrong? So the, the reasons are very interesting. The Jews were totally assimilated. They ate of the meal of Achashverosh. Mordechai didn't bow down. Maybe other Jews but did bow down to Haman's idolatry. The reality of the Megillah is, as I talk about this, the Megillah gives no reason, actually. There is no reason. Zero reason. The reason is Haman's angry at one guy and wants to kill all the Jews. There's no sense in the Megillah of the Nechata'enu because the Jews have sinned. There is a sense of an assimilated Jewry. That's true. But there's no sense of the Megillah that you're, you're going to be annihilated, exterminated, because you've sinned. There's no sense whatsoever. The, right. And Esav is Amalek. Right, exactly. There's none that, so I talk about that a lot. Now, here's the point. point is, there is one reason that we know the Jews are going to be killed. Namely, Mordechai doesn't bow down to Haman. That we do know. Mordechai doesn't bow down to Haman, and because of that, Haman decides to kill all the Jews. He takes it to the king, and the king basically says, okay, do, do, do your thing, you know? And they sit down to eat and drink at the end of chapter three, Yeshua Lishtot. Now the question that's raised by many is, Mordechai not bowing down to Haman, did he do the right thing or the wrong thing? That's the question. Did Mordechai do the right thing and not bowing down? You want to be a tzaddik, but you, you've endangered all of the Jews. Or, no, that's the right thing. You can't bow down to Haman. So this is the question. Big, very important question. And now, and now, uh, so the question is, first of all, not bowing down to Haman, is it forbidden to bow down to Haman altogether? Let's start with that question. Now, anybody who reads the Tanakh knows very well that throughout the Bible, people bow down all the time, including to bad people, including good people bowing down to Abraham bowed down to B'nai Chet. He bows down to Esau many times, many times. He bows down. The brothers, and, it, and by, by the way, and were it forbidden to bow down to another person, it wouldn't matter if the other person is a saint or a sinner. If, it's, if bowing down to a human being means it's wrong because you only bow down to God, then bowing down to Jacob and Joseph and Moshe is also wrong. What's the difference? Same idolatry. Moses is a human being. Not, no intimation he's God. So the point is, not that people bow down to Moshe, but the point is bowing down, if you think bowing down is forbidden because it's only bow down to God, then you couldn't bow down to anybody. But when you read the Bible, that doesn't seem to be the case at all. People bowing down all over the place. It's a sign of respect. So the first question is, if it's permissible to bow down, 
why does Mordechai not bow down? So you could make the argument, which I advance. No, no, I'll get to that argument before you get to Amalek. That is a good argument, but, 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 but leaving Amalek out of it, you could say something else, which is the shot of the Megillah. Why, in fact, do pe- why, the king issues a command in the Megillah, everybody has to bow down to Haman. Why? But what, what's the thinking here? So first of all, that what I stated is actually inaccurate. The king did, never said everybody has to bow down to Haman. The king said something different. The king said, this is a mistake some people make, and it's a bad mistake. There's no such decree. If you read the Megillah, you'll see straight out what the king says, says is, everybody in the gate of the king has to bow down to Haman. And the reason for that is clear, because in the verses that precede the commands, two people try to kill the king. At the end of chapter two of the Megillah, Bigtan and Teresh. Who are Bigtan and Teresh? Shomrei Hasaf, the guardians of the threshold. In other words, they're the, they're the gate, basically. That's where the gate is. The gate is. So the point is, what the king is, the king, two of his so-called guardians, right, in the gate, try to kill him. So the king is very concerned about the people in the gate. So he wants to make sure the people in the gate, right, are not going to get him. So he issues a loyalty oath for people, a test of loyalty. If, you, if you're loyal to the king, you bow down to my puppet, which is Haman. It's not that the king cares, cares about Haman way, one way or the other. And no one actually in the court believes it's about Haman. Because the people in the court say to Mordechai, why do you violate the command of the king? They don't say, why do you bow down to Haman? He chose Haman for whatever reason. But Haman is, so Mordechai doesn't bow down. And one way to understand it is, Mordechai says to himself, it's a beautiful thing to have a loyalty test to the king. How could anybody possibly think I'm disloyal, given the fact that I'm the guy that informs them of Big Ton and Teresh. Mordechai is the one who tells them about Big Ton and Teresh. And I would add to this a very important point, which is, you have to remember, Haman has no idea he's not bowing down. It's not that he walked over to Haman and said, by the way, that loyalty test is good for them, but I'm not, I'm not interested. I don't have to show my loyalty. Of course I'm loyal. So forget about bowing down to you. That's not what Mordechai said. Haman has no idea. Zero. So what he does is, you know, he... He avoids them, probably. The gate's a big place. He walks away. It never is a situation. Haman doesn't realize it until the people tell him. They rat on him. Now, why did they rat on him? And this is a very interesting question in terms of the language. They keep to go. They say to Mordechai, why don't you bow down? He refused to listen. Then they went to Haman to see if Mordechai's words would stand. It's playing on the standing and bowing. For he had told them he's a Jew. Now that expression, is ambiguous in the Megillah. What does it mean he told them he was a Jew? Is that the reason that he doesn't bow down? Or is that the reason they told him? So you could read it. Why do they, what, what do they care? He doesn't bow down. No, no. Why is the Jew not bowing down? We have to bow down. So the Jew doesn't bow down. So he could be, not the reason he doesn't bow down, but the reason they informed on him, anti-Semites in the court. That's, that's one possibility. It has nothing to do then with it's permissible to bow down. It's not necessary for him. It's not that it's usher. He's potter. He doesn't have to. That's one way to read it. It's a fine way to read it. As a kid, I thought that's the shot. However, the common understanding in the rabbinic tradition, and I believe that is a bit, actually a better shot, is that he doesn't bow down because it's, it's forbidden. 
Of course, the question is, why is it forbidden? It's not forbidden, it's permissible. So I have two things to say about that. The second is what Sarah said. I'll get to that. Haman's not anybody. Haman's Amalek. And Amalek you can't bow down to. Because you're bowing down to Amalek, Amalek is the, is the, is the anti-God. You can't bow down. To, Amalek is God's enemy. Respecting Amalek is disrespecting God. That's one possibility, which I like. The other possibility is that actually the language of the Megillah, it's not just the word to bow down. It's Korimu Mishtachavim. And Korimu Mishtachavim may have a different valence to it, a different sense. We have an Olenu Korimu. Korimu Mishtachavim is more than just bowing down. It's, it's more worship. It's worship. It's, a, it's, it's a, right. It's a, it's a worship of, it's a ritual of worship. It's ascribing to the person more than any person uh, is. Of course, it's something beyond just being a human being. And that's where Mordechai draws his line. In any event, the other possibility is that it is, because uh, it's Amalek. Respecting someone, okay, you can't respect Amalek. Because you're respecting Amalek, you're disrespecting God. Now, you have these two possibilities. They're both wonderful. They're both possible. First one, as a kid, I always thought it was the pshat. That he was because... It's a loyalty test. But Homer never would find out if we don't tell him. So he doesn't, that's not for me. Good idea for them, you know what I mean? It's like the joke about the guy who goes to the, you know, comes to shul or go to church, whatever. I said, what did the rabbi speak about today? Oh, he was talking about, he, said, he really told them off, he says, you know. <laughs> so the point is, it's for them, you know, it's a little different step for me. What do I want to tell you? So the question of these two ter- interpretations, which is more probable? I think the rabbinic interpretation actually is, 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 more, is a better interpretation. And what's very interesting is that when you read the language of chapter three, where he doesn't bow down, they spoke to him every day, he refused to listen. That language actually is almost word for word the language the Torah uses when it comes to Joseph and Mrs. Potiphar. She would speak to him every day, he refuses to listen. Now in that story, Joseph says why he can't bow down. He says why. Your husband trusts me, your husband has helped me. If I do this, he says, it's, it's a sin against God. I can't, I, I'm sorry. That's his red line. He's an ambitious guy, as is Mordechai. But yeah, they have their red lines. For Joseph, it's Mrs. Potiphar. And for Mordechai, it's Amalek. That's his red line. That's what he's not going to do. So the question is, did he do the right thing or the wrong thing? If you presume the second way, that it's Amalek, how could you say he did the wrong thing? You can't bow down to Amalek. Of course he did the right thing. Except, except for one little detail. He did the right thing. But we have to remember what I said before, which is obvious when you read the Megillah. Many don't see it, but it's obvious. Which is, the edict of bowing down to Haman is only for people in the gate. And the question in the Megillah is, why is Mordechai in the gate in the first place? Because when you first meet Mordechai in the Megillah, in chapter 2, it's one of those verses we read out loud. There was a Jew in Shushan the Bira, in the fortress Shushan, whatever. There's Shushan the city and the Shushan Abira. But even Shushan Abira is not the gate of the king. It's the citadel of the king, it's the fortress of the king, but it's not the gate. In fact, Mordechai is not in the gate of the king. When do we first discover Mordechai in the gate of the king? the end of chapter 2, why is he in the gate of the king, presumably? What is the context of Mordechai being in the gate of the king? 
that's beforehand. He goes to the courtyard, it says. But no, the point, maybe. The verse, that'd be before that. That's a, there's an earlier verse. One or two verses earlier. The king chooses Esther to be his queen. He makes a big party. Mishta Esther. Next verse. Mordechai is in the gate of the king immediately after we're told that Esther is the queen. Now, we know earlier we cared about Esther, but the presumption, and then it says later on, two verses later, in those days, Mordechai was in the gate, Victor and Teres trying to kill the king. So one can conjecture that Mordechai being in the gate of the king, no one forces him to be in the gate of the king. But once Esther is the queen, then suddenly we find him in a position of prominence is in the gate of the king. In other words, if you read it, that essentially Mordechai, and we have to remember, he comes from royalty. His lineage is traced back to Kish. Whether the same Kish or that is irrelevant, the same word, the same name. This is a guy, very like similar to Yosef. He's not an unambitious person. Any 17-year-old who has a dream with the sun, the moon, and the stars bow down to me, we might call that a, a megalomaniac, okay? That's Joseph's dreams. Not just the brothers bow down. Everybody bows down. He's driven to power. Joseph is, you don't get there by accident. He's driven to power. He, he, knows how to, he knows what power wants. He knows how to use power to get where he wants to go. Of course, power knows how to use Joseph where power wants to go. That's the problem. But the point is, so now the, the, my point is a simple point. <clears throat> of course, he does the right thing in, in, in not bowing down to Haman. In doing the right thing, he always kills all of us. But the question is a different question. Why is he there in the first place? That's a very good question. Why is he there in the first place? Now, you have to remember, when the closer you are to the king, the more limitations you have. My favorite example is the story of Joseph and, and, and Mrs. Potiphar. Joseph avoids Mrs. Potiphar. He runs away from her, gets thrown in jail. He's lucky to survive. Does the right thing, obviously. Okay, he avoided Mrs. Potiphar. Then two chapters later, or it's one chapter later, actually, uh, two chapters later, two chapters later, he's in jail, and Paro has dreams. No one can interpret the dream. And his butler says to him, you know, there's this Jew boy, and a very good interpreter of dreams. They rush him out of jail. They, Joseph shaves. He comes to... And Paro said, I heard that you could interpret dreams. God interprets dreams. Tell, Tell me your dreams. Tells him the dream. So Paro says to him, listen, you're so wise. Why don't you become my second? Gives him a ring. Gives him clothing. And a bracelet. Gives him a new name. Gives him a chariot. And then he gives him a wife. And the wife is the daughter of the priest of On. Cohen On. His name is Potifera. The daughter is named Osnat. Which means misfortune. As I say, not misfortune, but misfortune. <laughs> and, uh, and the point is, Joseph who, Joseph, who avoided Mrs. Potiphar, ends up with the daughter of Cohen Own of Potifera. What is that about? The same name, actually. The point, I think, is very simple. If you want to be part of Pharaoh's court, and that's just part of his court, by the way, he's the number two guy in Egypt. You are the most important one. Just I'm, I'm bigger than you, but everybody else is beneath you. That comes with a big price, actually. And the price is, you can't be Joseph anymore if you work for Paro. You're Tzafnas Paneach. Baal Tzafon is an Egyptian god. 
You're not Joe anymore. You're a Christopher, basically. And Chris, here's the deal with Chris. I got a real nice wife for you. We have a whole priestly family of own. You know what I mean? The top, the top priest in Egypt. Real idolatry. That's, that's, I'm your shotgun. That's, that's the family you're marrying into. Now, Joseph could have said, that's the price you pay. If you choose to be in this business, that's the price you pay. There's no way around it. You drive with the chariot of Egypt. It's a symbol of Mitzrayim. It's the, it's the chariot. You are Safnas Paneach with the chariot, and you're married to the priestly family, and you dress like an Egyptian. I dress you. That's the Ketonit Pasim, Revit Zahav. And you also speak Egyptian. You don't speak Hebrew. Because when the brothers come down there, there's an interpreter. He's, talking, he's not talking Hebrew. In every way that you measure Jewishness, Joseph is a non-Jew. You got two choices, Joe. You could marry, you could marry us not or not. Uh, the jail cell waits for you, and you'll be there till you'll rot there till the day you die. That's your choice. What do you choose to do? Joseph chooses to be Pharaoh's assistant. And by the way, in choosing to do that, he does a lot of good. He saves the whole world. The politicians can do an unbelievable amount of good, but there's a price that you pay. And my point is that when it says he went to Tocha'ir, but he wants to go back, he wants to, but cannot go back to the court. You can't go back to the court because you're a Jew and no Jew could enter there because every Jew was mourning, actually. So the only, only one who can save the Jews in the Megillah is someone who's not Jewish or a Jew who doesn't know that she's Jewish, which of course is Esther. Her first response is to say, Mordecai, you get dressed, forget them. That's her first response. Let's not forget that. She sends clothing to dress Mordecai, not to help the Jews. And when Mordecai presses her, she says, what can I do? It's against the law. You can't just walk in. Dangerous. Presses again. Then she, amazing. Then she says, okay, I'll, I'll cast my lot with the Jews. Probably I'll die also, but it doesn't matter. But that's, my point is, I give, by, I give an analog to it and I'll stop with this. The analog is the, the first sin of the Bible. The, the snake approaches the woman and says, I heard you can't eat any fruit. Oh, no, no, no. We can have all the fruit we want, except for the tree, which is Betoch Hagan. The tree in the midst, the middle of the garden, Betoch, that we can't eat because we're going to die. You're not going to die. God's just talking. God, but she takes the fruit, she eats it, she gives him, he eats it. They realize they're naked and they hide. Where do they hide, actually? Betoch eats Hagan. The same. That's where they hide. What is the point of the Chumash? That they're hiding Betoch eats Hagan. Why does the Chumash say that? The sin was eating the tree, Shebetoch Hagan. And when they go to hide, they hide Betoch Hagan. So I think there's a very important point over here. A point about repentance, actually. That in order to truly repent, you have to go back to the same place. Mordechai understands something. He did do the wrong thing. But at the end of the day, his being in that place, inside the gate, was the cause of almost almost very close to the annihilation of all the people. He has, in effect, caused the almost annihilation of the Jewish people. So in order to make it right, you have to go back to the same place. He, he wants to go, but the problem is he can't get to that place because it's a contradiction in terms. Because if you're a Jew, and that's who he is, he's Mordechai the Jew. No Jew can enter. Not Mordechai or any Jew. Because anybody, one might say, anybody who sees himself or herself as a Jew can't enter the gate. But the only way to save the Jews is to be inside the gate, to approach the king. You've got to find a Jew who's not mourning, but all the Jews are mourning, every place, except for one Jew. One Jew who's not only not mourning, doesn't seem to know what it's about altogether, because she knows something different. Because the chapter begins, 
Mordechai knows everything that was done. Then he sends to Esther a message, go save the Jews. And what's Esther's response? Everybody knows, she says. You can't just walk into the, the gate. So the question is, what do they know? The, the, the chapter actually is framed by knowing. It begins with Mordechai knows everything. Then Esther says to Mordechai, everybody knows you can't do that. So the question is, what do you know? You know what I mean? No, Mordechai is, it's like me, basically. You click on the news. You know the first thing I click on? Times of Israel. What's, what's with the Jews? Then you see the other news, you know what I mean? What's with the Jews? Okay, it's very provincial. I plead guilty. But that's who I am. That's Mordechai the Jew. He knows with the Jew. Esther doesn't know from nothing. Esther doesn't actually know what's happening. She sends a message. She has no idea. She knows something different. The protocols of the court. What are you talking about? Everybody knows you can't do that. Who's the everybody? That's the question. For Esther, the everybody is the servants of the king, the people of the state, right? Then Mordechai has to somehow change her thinking. So he sends this message at the end of chapter four. And he says to her, listen, first of all, don't think you're going to necessarily survive and the Jews will die. Maybe the reverse will happen. Maybe you and me will die and they'll survive. Can't talk about that now, but leave that aside. And he says, and who knows, he says, maybe this is why he became the queen. So I'll conclude with the following thought. The chapter is about knowing, actually. Mordechai knows what's happening. Esther knows the rules of the court. At the end of the chapter, Mordechai says to Esther, you know something? Maybe this is the time. He says, who knows? What do we know? Maybe, he says, maybe perhaps, where eight kazot at this time, for this eight, for this time, you became the queen. And the reader is reminded of chapter one of the Megillah, the king's court. Who was in the king's court in chapter one? Among others, Yodeho Itim, those who know the times, which is very significant in the, in the Megillah. Because the point of the Megillah, the, the other culture in the Megillah is all about fate. And the Megillah, by the way, doesn't simply dismiss fate as a reality. There's something to it, actually. It's what the People in the in so-called friends of Haman tell him when he comes home, if you start to fall, you're going to fall. You can't prevent it. It's like the law. If it's written, it's got to happen. You can't change it. That's the thinking in the Megillah, of the other culture in the Megillah, which the Megillah does not completely dismiss. This deterministic way of seeing things, there's something to it. But the Jew has a different path, and the Jew's path is Rubio Dea. It is possible. It's possible that you... It's, it's, it's what... It's, it's what Rav Nachman said, actually. I know the exact words. The highest level of knowing, he says, is to know you don't know. It's a tikkun, one might say, of the eight sadas. The highest level, when you know, what, what's what you really know? And you don't know. <laughs> that's, that's real knowledge. What do we know in this world? But, so Mordechai's message is to Esther, you know something? This is the right path. This is the path of faith, which means not that I know it's going to be okay. And my wife's desk is a little son, Clarence Jordan, who was a very devout Christian, interesting guy, talks about faith. Faith is not believing things will turn out okay. It's not ye yet tov, expression that I detest, by the way. It's something different. It's doing the right thing despite the consequences. That's what he said. I completely accept that. That's what he says to Esther. This is the right thing to do. What do we know in this world, really? So this is the, so Esther says, okay, I accept it. I'm going to do it. If I perish, I perish. It's very strong. It's not if I perish, I perish. Almost as when I perish. I'm going to do it, knowing that very likely it won't succeed. 
but it's the right course to take. This is the conversation they have. This is a great moment in the Megillah in Mugate Kozot. So that knowledge actually is interesting in chapter four, how it plays with the idea of knowledge. He knows, she knows. At the end of the day, what do we know? He says, who knows? You do the right thing. Maybe that is the highest level of knowledge, to understand our limitations, which are so many, so great. So that's the, really the great moment in the Megillah. And it's, if it's possible, then it's, it's what Rosenzweig said, if it's possible, it's necessary. It's possible. It's possible, that's the course we have to take. I could say more about it, but uh, stop at this point. Okay. Thank you. Thank you.